Hello and welcome to Tell Me About Your Neighborhood, where interesting people talk about the places in their lives. I'm your host, Ryan Shane Singer, and today I continue my conversation with Jason Scully, and we talk about politics, meat, and obesity clusters in Seattle. Even more than it's economic, even immigrant backgrounds, if they become very, very rich, they still eat the food that they grew up with. You know, they, they, they don't, they like that it's much more, it's a stronger mm-hmm. cultural thing than it is uh, even economic. And I, I think this is a big thing that's not really discussed in, in research. And right. I, th- I think it's, it's politically very scary to talk about. Right. Um, but it gets back to in the 90s, the latte drinking liberal. No. <laughs> Everybody loves, loves lattes now. But back then, if you drank a latte, you were just kind of... That was a cultural choice, right? Yeah. But I think it also served the, the red-blue split is right. that um, cult, there's some major cultural differences between urbanites, suburbanites, and rural people. Mm-hmm. And um, we, see, we see that in voter preferences and choices. It's sort of red-blue America. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big problem. You're right. Well, it is a problem, but it is also like part of... Uh, maybe we should be viewing it not nearly... Is a as an us versus them, but more as a culture. I mean, we say we celebrate cultural diversity, right? That that yeah. there is like there's this great, great other culture. You know, as a, we're saying this is urbanized we say it's Seattle, but there's this great other culture of people in rural America that has this great thing that they're doing, and maybe it's just it's just different rather than than saying that it's bad. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I'm really trying not to say it's bad. I, yeah, I, it's, it's very, it's different. Right. Um, and I think the difference is challenging for us because it makes it harder for us to communicate with each other. Right. Um, I mean, if suburbanites see Seattleites as being snobby with overly refined tastes and very being very pretentious, that's not good. Uh, Seattleites see our suburbanites as being low culture right uh, having less sophistication or, or just um actually i think the term that gets thrown around a lot is ignorant right um, yeah it, that's that's not good either especially since there are many many ways in which um non-urban cultures are very sophisticated oh, and yeah. have very interesting ideas and concepts that are worth sharing worth discussing i agree yeah yeah well that's interesting though that it, that it ties back into the choices we make about what we eat and where we live and how we interact with the space around us. Yeah. Exactly. It, it's, it's really fascinating. And that gets to some other criticisms of, of my research. Um, so we have something called the self-selection bias, mm-hmm. which means that um, people choose to live in places where there are other people like them, right. which is why we see clustered patterns, which is why we sort of see neighborhood effects on health. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, people who like to be physically active might prefer living in neighborhoods with wide sidewalks and parks because those are places for them to right. jog and right. exercise in. Um, or is it that having wide sidewalks and parks makes it easier to exercise so you're more likely to exercise? So that that's yeah it. yeah that's true. Those people would would those people choose to to do those things even if you put them in a place where it was harder to do those things, right? Mm-hmm. Or 
or and vice versa you couldn't take someone who didn't want to walk to work and put them in a place where it's easy to walk to work they'd still choose to drive yeah yeah it seems very likely that they would because yeah and but then it gets complicated by the fact that a lot of times people will drive to places to walk <laughs> yes yeah yeah there was a big movement and i think it started to taper off well, it still happens i'm sure in a lot of parts of america where the elderly would go to like malls mm-hmm. and and walk in the mornings before the stores opened. Like, yeah, it was this big movement, and it was all those... my my grandpa did that. Right, I had my uh, my I think my grandparents did that, and they were also and it was a very social thing, so that you could poo poo it and be like, oh, it's a mall, and it's weird that they're driving there to walk. But for them, it was like they knew everybody who was doing it. And they made all their friends and it was social and they had fun and, and it got them out exercising. So I don't, like, it seems like it's fine. It's just... Well, if we think about what a mall historically was before it became an enclosed shopping space, it was a yeah. place where you would promenade. Oh, yeah. Uh, where, where young, eligible singles would stroll in their finest and exchange cards. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's yeah. funny. Um... So, so why not have it be the same at a mall? Right. But how different is that mall for the purposes it serves than Green Lake? And right. for people who aren't familiar with Seattle, Green Lake is a lake with a nice walking path around it. Right. Where and that's also a place to see and be seen. Like I yeah. remember I used to run around Green Lake and it was extremely social. Like you saw people there all the time. And, and part of the reason you went there was to... Yeah. be seen and, and even though it was like oh I'm running but I was like running with my friends and I'd see people and I waved at them and I knew that they would see me and I was like oh, I'm running around Green Lake how mm-hmm. special am I uh, yeah that's very interesting well and when I was a teenager and when my uh, more specifically when my sister was a teenager we had this thing we called it dragging the gut did you do this in never heard of it Walla Walla is a weird place well yes it is but we would drive up and down like this one street, it was Isaac's. And there were, this is where all the fast food restaurants were, by the way. Right. And the, you would drive up and down it and you'd see your friends in a parking lot and you'd go in and you'd get something at the, the re- restaurant and you'd go and you'd hang out with your friends on their car. And then you'd be like, oh, let's go somewhere else. And it was before cell phones, so you didn't know who was gonna be there. Yeah. And you, didn't, you just made an arrangement with maybe one or two other people but then you went there to see other people and it was in a car. It was very social. It was like, um, I think it's like the movie American Graffiti. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> like that's essentially all they did do in that, that, yeah. that uh, movie. And that's what we did in high school. But yeah. it wasn't walking. It was driving. But. Yeah. Well, a lot, of, um, a lot of our behaviors are the same. Uh, whether or not we're walking or driving, it's just the scales different. Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah that's true. Because this was like several, it was so definitely several miles of, yeah. of driving, you know, that we did a night. Yeah. Uh, because okay. there's, there's more to talk about with, with self-selection. Uh, which is that um, if we look at GPS data, maybe that takes care of self-selection because we're looking at the entire space. And your entire activity space is self-selected. Right. Um, and self-selection is a really stupid term for it because we're constrained in what choices we can make. That's true. That's true. So I, you, we have a, I have a friend, and you know her, Allison 
Yeah, Bren. It's not Bren anymore. You have to uh, bleep that out. Yeah, she's she's fine. She'll know about this. Um, she lives in I think Linwood or somewhere. She lives in a suburb, mm-hmm. but she commutes downtown. And I remember she was saying that like, oh, we'd love to move closer in, but this is where we could afford. Mm-hmm. And and that's you know that's the reason why a lot of people make decisions about where they live. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily. Like she, she wasn't self-selecting to live in a suburban place. She was just doing it through necessity. Like she, she's a very active and walks around yeah. all time, all the time. But like she's in a place where it's harder to do. Is from what I yeah. understand. But she still makes certain choices. I'm sure yeah. she chose Linwood because there's a good, good school district there. Oh, she yeah. could have chose other places that were equally distant and cheap, as cheap or cheaper, like Maple Valley or Kent. But she yeah. chose Linwood. And that says that kind of says something about who she is too, because yeah. we see a cultural split in North South King County. Oh, that's Lin- true. Yeah, Linwood's Snohomish County, but yeah, um, just in north of in, yeah. in the north, people are whiter and richer, and the south people tend to be poorer yeah. and uh, browner. Oh, um, that's true. Yeah, but another interesting thing about the self selection is how people are clustered. Um, one of my colleagues did research, really fascinating stuff. He looked at obesity clusters. Oh. He looked at um, where people live based on their weight. Right. And by obesity, what I mean is having a body mass index of 30 or higher. Right. Uh, it's, it's a very technical definition sure. of what it means to be obese. Uh, it's meant to not have judgment. A lot of people are like complaining about the body mass index. It's right. Yeah. Yeah. But... BMI is heavily associated with prevalence of diabetes, heart disease, um, all sorts of metabolic conditions, and um, mortality, as well as income, education, uh, and food choices. Mm -hmm. So even though there are lots of examples at the individual level of people who have high BMIs, um, who are healthy, Mm -hmm. overall, the the general data pattern says... right. So when people, a lot of people are challenging BMI. Right. And they're saying there there are better measures of this available. Yes, there are. But when you're um, looking at large populations and you want to get most people possible, phone surveys are the easiest way to do that. And the only way to get a measure of metabolic, um, um, the best metabolic uh, measures are going to be what's your height and weight. Right. It's going to be the quickest, fastest, cheapest. Anyway, that's that's my digression on BMI. Point being, uh, in Seattle, we see clusters of people by BMI, uh, and the high people with the highest BMI live in South King County. Mm. Mm. People with the lowest BMI live in specific pockets in Seattle, and there's one pocket in Kirkland. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, fascinating, and. These clusters are also income-based. Yes. So the spatial cluster of um, people with high BMIs are in low-income areas. Mm -hmm. And the spatial clusters of people with low BMIs are in high-income areas. Yeah. So there's something else going on there, too. Yeah. Yeah. That that corresponds with the data that I know from New York City, where it's by borough, but it Mm. still plays the same, same thing, whereas actually, like... Uh, sort of ob- obesity and those types of problems are most clustered in 
the Bronx and in places in Brooklyn that are um, lower income places, whereas the, like Manhattan, it's very low. And then the sort of there's like a there's like the in between like places in Eastern Queens or Staten Island where there's it's like mm -hmm. there's higher incomes, but people have different lifestyles. And so they're like, mm -hmm. it's a different, um, yeah, they, you may find a cluster yeah. there, but it not necessarily is not ne as tied to income as, yeah. as uh, that. Although Staten Island's interesting in that they have, by any measure, they're a, a food desert, but because they are much more car oriented, they're, you have to look more broadly at their at their geographic sort of catchment area they're they're much more able to go out they mm -hmm. drive to new jersey to go to grocery stores and it's not that big a deal for them um well that was another interesting study that we did um and one of my colleagues did mm -hmm. was he looked at food deserts in a completely different way uh he looked at um he actually looked at each parcel in king county and he looked at how far that parcel was using networks, street mm -hmm. networks, from the nearest supermarket. And then he looked at the distances were contingent on, okay, how far can you walk in 10 minutes? How far can you drive in 10 minutes? Um, how far can you bus in 10 minutes? Mm -hmm. And by car, and the majority of people in King County get around by car. Right. Um, everybody in King County, Practically everyone has access to a supermarket within ten minute drive. Sure, that's pretty good. Yeah, this is that's not a, that's not a given in America. <laughs> so based on this research, some people have said Seattle really doesn't have any food deserts. I mean that's not true because there's still a lot of people who have to walk and buses. Well, buses are buses. They don't right, have yeah, function. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trans. It's interesting because it, outside of New York City, transit is not a viable way to like i i go grocery shopping by transit sometimes mm -hmm. although now i'm more like now i use fresh direct <laughs> which is you know that's just an in income thing though. yeah, yeah those, those just have more options yeah uh income gives you more options which is part of the reason why higher income people have better health right and lower bmis right right and the, the other thing, too, is the, the BMI income connection, which I really can't talk about too much because I just don't know enough about mm -hmm. it. Um, but one of the good theories about that is that if you're low income, the stress and the cortisol um, and also just working long hours right. um, might make you crave foods that are um, higher in calories. Yeah, yeah that, that I've, I seem to feel like I've read that as well like if you're um if you spend all day working in the yard right do you want like a typical healthy meal of like a little piece of salmon and a nice big salad and maybe some wild rice right that, that's not gonna cut it i mean yeah what you what you want you want something like after working that hard you want something big that's kind of that immediate mm, effect. yeah so you're, you might choose foods that are going to be a lot more calorically dense, maybe a lot fattier. A lot, right. Yeah. Well, and there's also cultural uh, associations with that. So if you have a, at least in New York City, many of the low-income communities are immigrant communities. And so they're coming from a, 
a place where they may have actually worked on a farm, like, you know, culturally, that, that's where they're coming from. And they, and so there they were burning those calories and they needed those calories and they're coming to a place where now they're just, they're maybe working in service, you know, where mm -hmm. they're not, they're, they're sitting or they're maybe sedentary in some ways, mm -hmm. but they still have the culture of this is what we eat. And so there's like this disconnect between their level of activity in their now everyday life versus what their cultural is saying. Oh, this is what you eat, you know? True, but a lot of, um, a lot of agricultural, a lot of, um, a lot of traditional meals are um, probably healthier, more likely to be vegan, more likely to have smaller portions. Oh. <laughs> I said, you haven't eaten Dominican food, have you? <laughs> it's mainly pigs and chickens. <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah, I know what you're saying though, because uh, Asian eat, communities definitely even, have a different... Yeah. Even Dominican peasants, um, if you're raising your own pigs and chickens, you're gonna slaughter that pig for a celebration. That that's yeah, food. that's true. That's feast um, food. Yeah, and and a chicken like, you probably only are gonna eat that chicken when it can't lay eggs anymore. Yeah. So a lot yeah. of the day to day food yeah, is the, gonna be less. It's interesting though because there's a in many cultures and this is even definitely just like sort of indigenous U.S. cultures and I use that in, yeah. in, in that there's like white cultures in the US who have the same uh, outlook on is that that meat is highly prized and the just because now it is highly available right it's uh -huh. easy to get that they get it because they can it's sort of like oh you eat it every day because why not you've arrived right you, you're successful but if, if you think about it, there's a very logical reason for meat to be highly prized yeah and that was it, rare. It, it, it's rare. It's for celebrations. It's what the rich people could eat because right. the rich people had the rich people could get pig all the pigs they wanted. Right. They didn't just have to slaughter the pig right. or a feast or, or the cow or whoever it is. But now in the U.S., where it's you can get it every day, mm -hmm. they do it every day because they're like, oh, I'm. Uh, it, 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 there's there's. Um, well, we come to think of it as our birthright, even. Yeah. It's just like. Yeah, I, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. Versus, yeah, yeah, other, like I said, I know some Asian cultures, it, it's like their, their meals are like starchy and vegetable-y and then there's like little bits of fish or, you know, little bits of meat in it, but it's not, it's mainly like vegetables and, and starch. Well, a lot of time the, those meals were originally, I, I can't speak to Asian culture, but designed to stretch the meat, to yeah. stretch the value yeah, of the meat, yeah, yeah. the, the flavor the meat. of the yeah. meat. Um, like with, with um, black culture, slave culture, uh, the master would have the meat and then he would give the bones to the slaves and the slaves would have to use the bones for juices. So the, the whole ham bone, you know, ham bone, ham bone, have you right, right. It's because the, the top slave would get the meat after the master was done with it, put it in the stew pot, maybe make greens with it or... or right. The black eyed peas or whatever soak it and then give the bone to someone else in the house and the bone would travel from house to house flavoring all the pots so that's why the ham bone knows all the juicy gossip because the ham bone's been in all the houses oh, I didn't know that about yeah that. but I, okay, that makes sense though and, and that's a way to stretch the flavor of meat right right and I, I don't know about other cultures but if you're looking at a culture like Japan where 
they have limited agricultural land, um, it makes sense that they would develop a culture of making meats prized small pieces yeah, of like meals. Yeah, like morsels that you stretch out and you eat in small amounts. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So anyway, getting back to the larger point of um, you have these people from more traditional, more agricultural backgrounds coming to America. Um, yeah, the the foods that they ate there may have been less less harmful. They may have been less meaty, less less um, start um, calorically dense. Right. But yeah, there there's this wonderful. There's this availability now <laughs> of, of meat and caloric density that right. I think humans are hardwired to crave. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. For mm. for a variety of reasons, um, not the least of which is. I work my ass off all day. I am exhausted, and no, uh, a, a, a um, baked chicken breast is not gonna cut it. Now you're making me hungry. Well, on that note, um, I did get some food, and I wanted to thank uh, Jason Scully for his uh, ex- uh, very interesting interview. Uh, join me next week for Tell Me About Your Neighborhood. Uh, where I talk to a group of comedians, some friends of mine, about a friend of ours that we recently lost. Uh, It's a very special episode. Uh, So enjoy your week, and uh, please listen again.